Hello and welcome to The Energy Gang at the Distributec Conference in Orlando. I'm Ed Crooks. Now, if you heard our first podcast from Distributec, you'll know that I spoke to Quinn Nakayama, who's the Senior Director of Grid Research, Innovation and Development, GRID, at PG&E, the California Utility. We didn't have room for the full conversation in that show, but we thought it was so interesting we wanted to share it anyway. We talked mostly about the rise of electric vehicles and the complex new challenges and opportunities that they create for electricity companies. So here is my full conversation with Quinn Nakayama. Quinn, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So we're coming to an end of the first day of Distributed, first full day. I'm interested in your impressions of the event so far. What have you made of the show? What have you been talking to people about? Yeah, you know, this was a little bit of a unique one for us this year. Traditionally, we've come to these events and we talk to a lot of our vendors. This time around, I actually invited maybe about seven utilities to take one of the conference rooms and we really just wanted to know what everybody else was working on. One of the most values that I get out of these conferences is yes, we want to talk to the vendors and see what they have out there. I'm also really curious as to what my peer utilities are working at. So we closeted ourselves in one of these conference rooms and we just started talking about what our futures look like. What does the distributed grid future look like? How does compute power move to the edge? What does it look like with high penetrations of EVs? What about drones and AI and ML? And it was an hour and a half of purely unscripted, let's just talk shop. And that was one of the most beneficial conversations I've had in a long time. It does sound fascinating. And what would you say were the main themes then that came out of that? Or what did you learn that you didn't know already going into it? You know, I think we're all struggling with the same things. We want to all be able to foster electric vehicles on the grid. We know that that's going to require a lot of load on our grid. And that's going to require more iron to be placed. The real question is, how do we not put as much iron than we need to, right? How do we make this at the lowest cost for our customers? And, you know, there's a lot of unknowns with them when it comes to electric vehicles. You're dealing with somebody's livelihood, their transportation. They have to get from home to work, home to the grocery store, home to pick up their kids. How do we make sure that we can use that as an energy resource, but also take our customers through the journey so that they can feel confident that they will always have as much mileage as they need at any given time and feel secure. The last thing that we want to do is tap into this resource and have them feel unsecure about their transportation, which is a huge portion of their life. But it's a balance between the opportunity for us as a utility and our customers. Right, and in California, you're very much at the cutting edge of that, right? Because California has very ambitious goals for EV adoption. You're being pushed in a direction where you have to respond to these pressures. And I guess where the rest of the country, the rest of the world is going to be following over the coming years and decades. Yeah, so in California, by 2035, every single new vehicle needs to be an electric vehicle. And so we have to make sure that our infrastructure is ready, but at the same time, we need to make sure that our customer programs are ready such that we can tap into those vehicles for grid-related services. I think the first place that we really need to start is how do we use this flexible load? Because the charging rates can be different. You can have the full charging rate experience, you can have slower levels of charging rate experiences, and we can tap into that so that a customer can still get, let's say a faster charging experience at home without having to upgrade their panel. And, and we're really looking at innovations to be able to do that. 
because it starts there. If you're going to have an electric vehicle, a lot of customers want to charge at home if they have a single family home. It's a little bit different for you know, lower income or folks who live in multi-unit dwellings, I get that. But at least for single family residences, they want to be able to charge at home. But if they want to be able to charge at home, sometimes that requires a panel upgrade. Most of our customers across the entire United States have 60 amp panels, 100 amp panels, and if you're an electrician looking at a customer's home load that has HVAC and they want to put a level two charger at the home, they're going to be like, you need to go 200 amps. Well, now you need to upgrade your electrical to code. You have to work with utilities to make sure that your services are all sized correctly. And that could be four months, $4,000 plus on top of buying an electric vehicle. What we're looking to do is partner with some of these technologists to say, how do we do this so that, hey, if you're going to run your AC, maybe you charge a little bit slower, but as soon as the AC trips off, you're back up running at your full rate, and I can do all of this without touching your panel whatsoever. That's very interesting. Does that help with some of the challenges on local distribution as well? I mean, the classic thing that anecdotally you hear from a lot of people is, oh, we're on our street, you can't have more than two people charging their EV at any one time. You know, third person plugs in their EV to charge it and bang, all the lights go out. That's also a problem, I think, you know, as I say, seems to be anecdotal at the moment, but there's a real issue there, right? Yeah, and we're going to start off at the lowest level. So right now you have a service transformer that feeds 12 customers. And what you might find is, well, if every one of those cars is charging on the hottest day in September, when all the air conditioning load is happening, you might need to upgrade that service transformer. But what if customers don't charge their car during that period of time? which let's be honest, they probably aren't charging the car at 2 p.m. on September. If we can just make sure that they don't, then that service transformer actually doesn't need to be upgraded because we don't need to assume that all of that load is going to happen on the worst period of the day in the worst month on the hottest day. Now we can have controls in place to say, okay, as long as they don't charge during that period of time, I can get these assets to last much longer. And that's the type of conversations we want to have with our customers that says, hey, if I can get you connected tomorrow with your EV, will you give me the ability to ensure that you're not going to charge in a period that you're never going to charge anyways? If you're okay with that, I think we might have a solution here for you. But as you say, it's not just about the technology, and then it's about the people as well. It's, it's about, about people, being, as well. people being able to get comfortable with that idea of there are going to be some restrictions. I was going to say this is a distinctively American thing, true of people everywhere, but it somehow it feels, particularly true in America, people absolutely rely on their cars, right? It's, as you say, it's essential for work, shopping, kids to school. So persuading people to accept some kinds of restrictions is not going to be easy. Do you think they are persuadable? I really think so, because at the end of the day, we're not asking them to actually make a significant behavior adjustment. It's not like I'm telling you, you know, don't charge. I'm just asking you to not charge on the hottest day of the year on these two hours during the hottest day of the year in a one in 10 year period. Like, you know, so those are the type of things, but I do think that it really behooves us as a utility to understand and walk our customers through the journey in a very graduated process. I think a lot of like, for example, there's a lot of talk about vehicle to grid. And I think that is a different conversation 
that we need to have when it comes in terms of using your electric vehicle as a grid asset. How so? What kind of different compensation? Well, so for example, if I am a person who is a new EV owner, and this is my first EV, I'm not sure about range, I have a lot of anxiety about range, but I can use my car to back up my home in a grid outage, I will do that any day of the week and twice on Sundays. Okay. Now, when we come to actually exporting that energy for the grid, it starts to get a little hazy. Do I really want to do that? What about the range anxiety? So what lies in between that? Well, in most utilities across the entire nation, you get this thing called demand response. And it's this raise your air conditioning to 85 degrees. Meanwhile, all of your kids are broiling inside of a house and nobody's really all that happy. And maybe you get a couple dollars here or there. And, you know, I think demand response is a powerful tool. What becomes even more powerful is, well, set your thermometer to 58 degrees if you want, just run your AC off your car. And so, you know, oh, for a four hour period, all I need to do is run my AC off my car. My car went from 80% charge down to 72% charge, and you're gonna pay me for that? That's the type of graduated approach that I really see that customers are first gonna say, okay, vehicle to home, give me that outage support. Then they'll move into self-consumption. Use my car for whatever energy that I use at home. Once they get comfortable there, and by that time, the storage capacity on the, home, on the cars will be larger, and maybe then they'll be willing to give up 10% of their battery, 20% of the battery. So it's a journey. Customers are just trying to get used to EVs, period. And then taking them through this journey of value is going to be something that we're going to have to walk into. That is really interesting. I mean, you said earlier something about it being uh, your job as a utility to educate people, to kind of take customers with you. It's presumably not only your job, I guess, you know, the EV manufacturers and the dealers and the vendors, whoever else is supporting that, other companies that provide services in the home to support EVs could be part of that. Politicians, regulators, everybody could be part of that as well. But are you saying that you think fundamentally at the end of the day it's got to be the utility that takes the lead? No, I actually think it needs to be an ecosystem of partnerships. You can't do this alone. And, you know, utilities are seen more and more nowadays as a bill. And that creates a level of distrust between our customers and the utilities. And so having an ecosystem of OEMs like Tesla, Ford, GM, Nissan, you name it, with our regulators, with our politicians all saying the same thing creates a significant amount of value. And as long as we can prove that our customers, because at the end of the day, it comes to our customers, our customers are better off, then I think as long as we all are in agreement that that's true, then how do we go ahead and jointly step through this? Right, and so you had Elon Musk, for instance, speaking at your innovation conference last year, right? So that's as you say, talking about kind of aligning your messaging, making sure that everyone's on the same page when they present this change to people, which as you say, it's a very radical change. Well, yeah, and, and if we're going to talk about a little bit about Tesla, their Cybertruck is actually two-way powerful capable. So how do we partner with the Cybertruck owners to see how do we get these type of capabilities to them, right? And you have to work with Tesla on that one. You can't just do that by yourself. You know, what does the connections look like? How do we make this a seamless experience for our customers? How do we make this the lowest cost experience for our customers? That requires a two-way dialogue between us and our OEMs. 
And then how do we enroll them in regulator-based programs that maybe give them some money for utilizing of these assets in certain ways? And this is where the three entities, the regulator, these OEM technologists, and the utilities working all in concert to achieve a particular vision becomes such a reinforcing factor within this sector to be able to make the changes that we need to give our customers what they want and actually give our customers something that they may not even know that they need. As I say, going back to that point about California kind of being in the vanguard of this, as you say, you can talk to other utilities, you can learn lessons from other people. You're kind of finding your own way in this, right? I mean, you're not able to look at this other state, look at this other country somewhere else in the world. They've got it right. They know how to make this system work we can just adopt their model and we can be confident that's going to work for us. You are tentatively, presumably, kind of taking these steps and there's inevitably going to be some trial and error there. It's going to be up to you to find ways to make it work that other people can then follow. Yeah, I would say that there are places that we can, spots that we can learn about certain aspects. Like Europeans are much further along around what does the distribution system and operator look like. You've got the Australians who have done a lot of work in this area with preponderance of solar on their system. You know, there are aspects that you can learn. But when it comes in terms of using electric vehicles as a grid asset and understanding the human component upon that, I think California with its aggressive, aggressive EV targets is going to be the place where a lot of that learning is going to occur. Put it this way, the person who says that they have the perfect answer for this coming future is the person that I trust the least. The person who says, actually, you need to test out 7 million different things and see which ones work and doesn't work is a person that I want to have a conversation with. Because it's through that experimentation, oh, well, we tried a flat rate, that didn't work. We tried real-time pricing, that didn't work. We tried this, we tried that. It's only through experimentation that you get to actually see what happens with the human behavior. But it's also the fact that that human behavior is not set and can change over time. And that's the most exciting portion. So even though we may have an answer at a point in time, we have to be very ready to adapt as the customer sentiment about the electricity in their vehicle changes. And that could happen very quickly. Can it? Well, if you take a look at the new technologies that are coming around, like solid state batteries, for example, you know, there are a lot of disruptive based technologies out there that could really lightning charge how people feel about the electricity in their cars. And so, yeah, I mean, it could change. Now, it's not gonna happen overnight, but those type of disruptive technologies on the EV sector could transform some of the customer behavior patterns as well. And so ultimately then, how confident are you that you as PG&E, as a company, and the utility industry as a whole are gonna be able to manage these challenges to get to essentially an all-electrified vehicle fleet. Yeah, it feels like this is an industry that is inherently, for very good reason, highly conservative. You've got to keep the lights on. That's, that's the job of the utility above all. And if you don't manage to do that, people quite rightly get very unhappy. And so risk-taking and innovation and change are things that are often regarded very skeptically. People don't want to kind of rush into doing anything potentially dangerous. So that seems to kind of militate against the kind of change that's going to be needed. And as you say, some did pretty radical, pretty fundamental rethinking of the way that the power system operates. Is that a tension that's ultimately going to be 
impossible to resolve or do you think it can be resolved in ways that get us to that completely different future? You know, it's interesting. I think where it starts is it starts with a leader who can see into the future and envision what's to come. And I think about my CEO, Patty Poppy. And Patty, immediately when she came in, said, what would it need to be true to unleash the full potential of electric vehicles? And it's, it's this mentality of not like, what do we need to do in order to make this work? It's what would need to be true? And when you, when you take that type of mindset of, I'm gonna take all of my preconceptions out the window, and I'm just gonna ask myself, what would it take to get there? You find yourself in a open creative space, but it requires that type of support and that vision from your top level leader at one of the largest utilities in one of the most progressive states to make that happen. And I think we have that with Patty Poppy, with Jason Glickman and the entire leadership team at PG&E. They all know that there is going to be significant challenges to create the clean energy future of California's desires. We're going to have to think differently. And in order to think differently, like I'll give you an example. When I came into this role back in October of 2022, I really wanted to say, hey, I want to expose all of our problems to the industry for things that we need the industry to innovate against, but it has to be tied to our company strategy. And so that enabled me to come up with this idea of the R&D strategy report that we published. It's 143 pages, 70 problem statements, but I couldn't have done any of that without the full blessing from Patty, from Jason, and that executive team to say, expose our problem statements to the world is actually going to be a force multiplier for us. Too many utilities will say, hey, we got it, we got it, we got it, we got it, until we don't got it. And I think, you know, at that point, it's too late. And what we want to do is say, okay, here you go. Here's all of our problem statements, or the ones that we know of, at least for today. And all that's public. We can look that up on the internet, can we? People can find that. It's on our website. Right, right. Yeah. And then we did an innovation summit where we took it a step further. We brought 4,000 people of innovators, of technologists, of regulators, of utilities, and we went a step even further. We started to explain it, right? And so, like, you know, it's this double click into here's where we need innovation. We can't do this ourselves. We're a utility company, but the technology and the ideas and the hardware and the software and the AI and the ML, that all can come from external companies who are much more progressive, who can think of these ideas in vacuums and then bring it to us and figure out how to integrate that. I mean, it has to start with the vision from Patty and, and her executive team to be able to say, yes, go ahead. Let us be very transparent with the market. That's really where the force multiplier occurs. And then the other utilities, partnering with the other utilities and says, here's what we're working on. And then here's what they're working on. How do we compare notes, right? So that we can have followership with the things that we're building in California and, and giving that to the rest of the nation and then learning from the rest of the nation and bringing that back to the PG&E, that's where we can really start to accelerate the change that we need to. Well, it certainly is going to be fascinating watching you address those challenges over the years to come. Quinn Nakayama, thanks very much indeed. Thanks for joining us on the Energy Game. Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Many thanks, Quinn Nakayama, for talking to us. 
and many thanks to our producers, Dan Cottrell and Sam Nash. And above all, many thanks to all of you for listening. Please do keep your feedback coming. And we'll be back soon with all the latest news and views on the energy transition. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>